The views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what me say, but me, I gonna say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today. Some people just don't wanna know about 400 years ago. But the thing about slavery, it's affecting people now. I tell you no lie, when I see a film about slavery, water comes. Peace. And welcome to the Abolitionist Daily, a daily program, a daily war report from the trenches, reaching out to all the abolitionists, all the abolitionist supporters and sympathizers, all the allies in the struggle, the activists, the actionists, those that have put their lives on the line for the betterment of our society and our culture to advance us as human beings to help us help ourselves, to help us save ourselves from the persecution that we face here, these uh, shots, these wars, uh, bombs that are being dropped on us here behind these enemy lines. Uh, this is Johanna and Elia. Again, this is the Black Talk Radio Network. This is the Abolitionist Daily. Today is April 1st, but there will be no April Fool's jokes on this program. I can promise you anything that we discuss here today is the truth is reality and is the inescapable fate of those who have come from a history and a legacy that built this nation of being the enslaved class, the enslaved population, the property, the prisoners of war, and who have still to this day have to exist with the threat hanging directly over their heads of potential re-enslavement. And that potential re-enslavement doesn't hang over heads idly. It hangs over heads with a very active and actionable promise that you will be made a slave if we can find some way to convict you of a crime. It's according to the 13th Amendment, and that's what we talk about here. That's what we teach here. That's what we stick to. That is our primary concern, because what is happening to us is a war that is being legislated against us. Slavery was, for the last 200 years or so of it, in America was pretty much exclusively an African situation. You may find all of these affiliated and associated ethnicities and nationalities that lay claim that, oh, slavery was more than just Africans and there was the Irish and I don't know whoever else they try to claim was enslaved and indentured servitude and all this type of thing. But the thing is, it evolved here. Yeah, there may have been times there were some other folks involved and being subjugated and treated poorly. 
we know that uh, America has a has a problem with the poor and with the lower class and abusing them and, and killing them off and subjecting them to all sorts of inhumanities. We know that and we understand that. But the slavery situation was at one point for a couple of hundred years very unique and exclusive to the people of color. The Africans kidnapped and brought here. The black-skinned folks, the melanated people, easily identified and thrown into the slavery mix. And we discuss abolitionism on this program day to day, primarily from that perspective. I'll just be honest with you. Yes, this is something that because of the 13th Amendment affects all of America and all Americans. And with 2.4 million people is the latest numbers incarcerated, you're damn right. It involves everybody. There's a mix of all sorts, races and ages and ethnicities and backgrounds and the education levels and faith practices and size and height and weight and shape and build and who's pretty and who's ugly and bald head, the long dreads, it don't matter. Everybody is off in this mix. Yes, it is. Everybody. But the 13th Amendment was given to us in response to the inhumanity that was demonstrated towards the Africans in America, specifically. There was no one else at the time of 1863, 1864, 1865 that was a slave in America. So with that being the case, with us being the ones that were the slaves, then the 13th Amendment was written for us. The Emancipation Proclamation was written for us. And that legislation was created for us and created to supposedly free us but that legislation says quite specifically that slavery ended as according to this these word the wording of the 13th neither neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as punishment for crime wherever the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction so that very word itself, except, says all you need to know. Yeah, they ended slavery, sure. We end involuntary servitude, except when blah, blah, blah. So except when a person can be convicted of a crime, and then we go and begin to look at the way that America goes above and beyond to create legislation, to create municipal statutes and continue to set out regulations and continue to hyper police and hyper criminalize culture and behavior and dress codes and words that are said and go after people for images that they produce. I mean on and on and on with the over policing and, and attacking black life more or less to continue to produce slaves which in turn continue to produce major revenues for the state, for the state and for its corporations. Wall Street. And this is all a part of what we discuss on this program. We get into the legislation. We get into the, the local codes and the state laws that are being changed. Today we're going to talk about Florida and the difference between its Senate bill, where we've been, we've been covering for some time, the uh, the the Florida Senate um, 
Judiciary Subcommittee over, over the last several months. And uh, Senator Greg Evers as the chairman and what he's been doing to visit these institutions and what he's been doing to uh, bring about the changes that they need. I mean, the state having 350 deaths in custody last year should get somebody's attention. And we've been covering what, what he's been doing to, uh, you know, and his, his staff to help bring um, the needed changes down there. And now we see the Florida House is, has uh, turned around and, and put forward their own bill, which strips the Senate bill of, of many of the things that it needs to actually make meaningful change in the state prison systems. And we're going to look at those things, and I'm just going to be honest with you. Some of the stories that have been coming up over the last few days, it's no different than any of the other days. And I promise you I'm not going to be ranting and going crazy and fire breathing or whatever on this microphone. I mean, I really do try to just stay calm and straightforward and present the information and let you make your decisions or what have you. But from time to time, these things... I mean, you should have an emotional response. You should be getting fired up when you hear these kind of things. When you know you have 100, 104,000 people in your state prisons in the state of Florida, you know that you're averaging around 300 a year dying in custody. You know that you have dozens of investigations that are open and pending that have gone back five, six, seven, ten years. Still no determination from the medical examiner on how these people died. Still no cause of death issued, so the investigation cannot move forward. Still trying to cover up, still trying to hide, still letting people resign, so the investigation doesn't have to go any further because the person doesn't work there anymore. So, I mean, can you imagine working somewhere? Say you work in an office and you just steal your computer one day. You just walk out like you're going to lunch, and you just take the whole damn computer and just go put it in your trunk, take it home. You just start using all this stuff. I mean, that's a crime, right? So do you imagine that the job is just going to say to you, well, you know what, we're just going to let you go and, you know, because we don't want you to get in any kind of trouble. We don't know why you did it. I mean, really, it's the, it's the culture here. We actually encourage people to just steal the equipment from the, from the office all the time. So the fact that you did it doesn't really upset things here. But we're going to let you go. Then that way we don't have to investigate who took the computers. We're just going to replace the computers. And then you can go work at another office and maybe they steal computers there too. Can you imagine this in your workplace? You just take whatever you want and it doesn't break the, it breaks the law, but no one there is interested in prosecuting you and no one there is interested in, you know, ameliorating the situation, fixing anything, doing anything. They just want to just let you be able to fade away and don't worry about it. And that's what we're doing with human beings in state prisons across this country. Yeah, we discussed Florida, but this happening in state prisons all over the country. Idaho, Washington, Texas, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Louisiana, Mississippi, Georgia, Alabama, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. It's, it's insane. So the Florida House to come in and, and defang the bills that uh, the the bill that the Senate uh, put forward that would actually give an opportunity to uh, increase oversight, to hold people accountable, to uh, hold them accountable to the DOC's own standards of conduct and and uh, the way they should be running the prison. 
you know this is this is a, a type of treason it's a type of of terrorism it's a, it's it's like you're attacking us and we're the citizens trying to live and trying to create a society that is just and is healthy and sustainable and here you are in in elected positions working in the interest of individuals that are not looking out for the interest of our community so we can't keep pointing the finger at the poor and the blacks and talk about how bad people are and and they're in prisons and they should just be thrown away and you look at the people that are administrating what's going on in the prisons and they're not being charged with any type of criminality they're not being held to any type of accountability they're not they're being allowed to continue to do illegal actions that are further victimizing the people who were victimized by the communities they came from and ended up in prison in the first place. So yes, those are things we discuss on this program. We're going to get into that today. We're going to talk about another story. This got me right pissed off again. I mean, I got to be honest with you people. Time is short. I don't know how much time I got. I don't know how many of these programs we're going to be able to do. You know, honestly, they say the good die young, man. I'm trying to be good. So I might not have a long Rush Limbaugh career to sit up and blow smoke up your ass for the next 15, 20 years. I don't know how long this is going to go, but when I see this type of thing like what I'm seeing, and it's not just the news story, which is enough to have your have your head explode, I'm double pissed off at black people and at my own people for the way that this story is being discussed. This is a, it's a story coming out of Georgia, Augusta, Georgia, about a young man there that was uh he had some issues in his youth i think they said he was arrested at 14 for uh burglary or assault or, or maybe both anyway he had been on probation for a while and and uh just you know in the system caught in the system whatever and um his name is cortez berry and his picture showed up on social media and he appears to be on his knees in front of two uh shirtless other black young men and one of them has what looks to be some type of a belt and it's wrapped around this boy's neck and he's holding it like he's got a dog on a leash literally and his face is bashed in his cheek is swollen stuck all out his eye is swollen shut and he's looking like he believes he's about to die he's looking like he's pretty much hopeless about this life being anything at this point and so my response number one when I read the story is okay what in the hell is going on in the Georgia Department of Corrections where we continue to see story after story coming out of this state about the abuses and the brutality going on in the state and Georgia is looked at by Florida I'll have you know as a state that's getting it right on prison reform is a state that's getting it right on how they handle their prison situation there. So you see how the whole lesser of two evils thing works? You still get that evil. Florida is so screwed up. They look to Georgia. I've been watching these conferences and these meetings that these high-level officials and political individuals and think tank chairman and the people that put together the the thoughts and the ideas and the and the plans for how we're going to fix this situation come together in these conferences and they discuss these things over two and three hours everybody's got 20 30 minutes to extemporate on their ideas and their goals and it goes on and on and all this information it's just an information overload 
and they are in Florida talking about the, the distinguished people from Georgia coming in with their ideas and the people from Texas coming in with their ideas and how they're getting it right and how they're doing this and that. And Georgia is out of control still. But I don't want to get into that tangent just yet. The picture itself is enough that the prison should immediately be on lockdown. There needs to be something immediately occur to just shut everything down. Everybody, every one man to a cell, everything stopped till we figure out what the hell is going on here. And I see my own people in the comment sections on the websites that cover it. When I posted it on my own Facebook page, I see my own people jumping on this boy, jumping on the situation, talking about you, you shouldn't have committed crime if you, what do you think is going to happen when you end up in prison? What do you think is going to happen? He deserves it. Let them do whatever they're going to do. I mean, I'll be frank with you. I try to always be very direct and just get it out, get it over with, because, I mean, either you're going to love me or hate me. I, I mean, I, I can't make it out like I'm here to get friends or something. I just have to tell you the truth about situations and my perspective on things. Try to help you get some understanding. If you've got a, an opinion that counters, then I invite you to call in. I invite you to email me or whatever. We can discuss it. But my feeling is this. Based on the way this country was even established, the based on the way the wealth of European nations was even established, undeniably on the backs and the blood of indigenous people wherever they went and decided to colonize. Based on that alone, I tend to believe that African people are not necessarily innately savage because whenever we colonized, whenever we traveled the world, there's the artifacts and information showing that Africans traveled the planet for thousands of years. And we don't have the same type of history of enslaving and massacring and commandeering all the resources and excluding anybody else from being able to have anything and taking a threat of other people living and forever feeling threatened whenever anybody else is looking to empower themselves and we gotta, you know, that's a threat to us being superior. I, I don't see that history. Yes, there was slavery, there was some indentured servitude, there was prisoners of war that were adopted into other cultures, tribes fighting against tribes, and people let go of their cultures and became a part of something else. Yes, there was all types of inhumanities, I'm certain. I'm not painting Africans to be perfect people or some how angelic or something. I mean, there's all types of bad situations going on, but I'm just saying for the purpose of looking at this type of thing, I don't expect to read black folks, especially those that are uniquely conditioned by the American experience of white racism, terrorism, white supremacy, being a, 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 a part of a, a domestic colony here behind these enemy lines like this. I don't expect to see or hear from black, black people talking about black folks suffering like this even if it's other black folks or especially if it's other black folks doing it to them and saying that anybody deserves to be treated this way it totally blows my mind when I see the numbers of black people commenting on this story as though all of these people are disposable individuals 
This boy was 17 years old the day before this happened to him. He just turned 18 years old. Before his 18th birthday, it's a likelihood he was raped or definitely was made to feel he was going to be raped. Who puts you on a leash, choke chain with a belt, beats the hell out of you, and then stands there with three people. I mean, obviously somebody's holding the cell phone and taking a picture, and the other two standing there holding a leash and posing and flexing and like, hell yeah, this is our bitch. Who does this? And to see our own people just throw it away, dismiss them. Uh, they're all disposable. Well, I don't need them. And I had one lady actually argue with me and tell me that she works in the prison system. And I just don't have a clue what I'm talking about. I didn't say they don't deserve to be separated from the greater society if they're just routinely going to be criminal until we can help them and rehabilitate them and give them some options in their community as opposed to only policing them and only incarcerating them and only throwing them in debt to the state and only throwing them in debt in the greater threat of incarceration instead of only doing those things until we can get them in a situation where we provide some help to them maybe they do need to be separated from the masses because I don't want them to rob me or I don't want them to attack my mother or whatever if that's what their thing is I don't want my kids being attacked of course I'm not saying they don't need to be separated but we don't write them off because of what they're doing what we see right now and just whatever let them rot I had a lady tell me that these people would not be acting like this if we didn't take such good care of them while they're incarcerated they live so plush they live so good in there eating good look at them they, they should be they should be uh, skinny eating bread and drinking water starving and then they wouldn't be in there so ready to fight and do all of this but we take such good care of them and this same person told me that she works in the prison. She said to me, here you are on Facebook talking about what you don't know about, and I'm in the pods every day. I'm in there trying to save these young men and trying to convince them to turn their lives around. So this is why we need you, listener, to get up off this radio and get in that prison and push her out of a job. Because somebody like that is only making the situation worse. Somebody like that sees the people that we are trying to help and the people that we are trying to not become as threat of the 13th Amendment makes us all potentially slaves. We'll be right in there with them. We're looking to not only abolish the prison slavery system, abolish the prison system, mass incarceration as it exists currently, we're looking to create a black community, create a safe community, create a better community for the people, for the poor, inside and outside. Not only are we trying to stop the situations that lead people in there, but God forbid we end up in there. Do you want it to be hell when you get there? We're trying to reform and trying to fix the situations that are existing in there. And when we see these types of stories coming out, where our youth are allowed to do this type of thing this is the issue people just like we're talking about Florida and how they're trying to lessen 
the reform that they're willing to do on their prison system, which is one of the worst on the planet. What we're seeing in Georgia is a matter of what does the Georgia Department of Corrections guidelines say about taking custody of individuals. You have an obligation to protect people's lives. They are there to be rehabilitated, to be restored to their community a fixed version of their old self, a better version of their old self. Not a raped and beat up and tortured and terrorized, even worse version of their self. If we don't take murderers in and give them the death penalty and immediately uh, uh, execute them, then anybody that is going into prison with a potential chance to come back out of prison is most definitely there to be rehabilitated. And while they're being rehabilitated, they are owed the protection of the state and to live off the provisions of the state. That's the agreement the taxpayers have made with the state, that we will pay for their room and board and their rehabilitation until they can be made better and they can come back into our society. And we're getting screwed on the deal. We're not rehabilitating anybody. They're not feeding anybody. They're not protecting anybody. They're not keeping health care for anybody. We're truly seeing the same survival that we had to see on the plantations 150 years ago and back beyond that. Every man for himself on the plantation. Whatever happens is just what happens. You're starving. There's no sick. What we bring the vet in next month? You check the horses and check your teeth too. And it's what we're seeing in the prisons. So this story, we're going to discuss this a little bit. I mean, we're discussing it now, but we're going to discuss this a little bit. We're also today on the program going to bring back uh, Professor Phil in the uh, toward the end of the program, kind of like we did uh, yesterday from uh, Politics and Money Incorporated, PoliticsandMoneyInc.com. Professor Phil gave us some ideas yesterday, and I feel like he was only able to get kind of get started on the discussion that needs to to be uh, broadened a bit. And, and we've got some questions. We had a pretty uh, pretty decent uh, following to that program uh, yesterday, apparently, because I got some inbox questions. And um, I know uh, Scotty Reed, and then I talked to Max Barthas. Um, after the program, he had some questions as well. So we've got some folks that, that have some, uh, ideas or questions or things that, you know, people want to find solutions to the problem of modern day slavery. It's not just me ranting and raving and, and going off and pointing out all the problems or whatever. People want solutions. And, uh, we definitely feel Professor Phil, just for me knowing him personally, um, outside of the abolitionist movement, um, uh, for a few years now, having followed his work. Um, what he's talking about and the things he's proposing. Um, it definitely makes sense to me. I feel like I need him to continue to explain it. Um, and I'm not at a point yet, uh, proficient in really explaining what he's proposing. But when I hear him talk about it, it makes sense. And what we want to take a look at today with, uh, discussing with him a little bit later in the program is how do we incorporate this in the abolitionist movement for one? Um, scale it out for us. You know, because these are individual decisions and individuals making decisions to build personal wealth and to cut off the state or the municipality from stealing our wealth, um, amassing, you know, these same types of funds like towards our own ends. 
but there's a question involving direct invo- uh, direct contact with law enforcement and how any of this is going to help uh, uh, solve those problems with extrajudicial murders and police abuses, police cr- uh, criminality overall. And um, I discussed it with him a little bit, you know, on on the phone on personal call after the program, and he had some ideas. So that's why we're bringing uh, Professor Phil back today. Um, and I feel like we're at a point with the program where we're going to start to uh, bring in more guests. Now, I kind of wanted to give the first few weeks, um, just between you and me, to uh, develop a more intimate relationship, um, make sure we know each other better, and start to build some trust between us before we start bringing other people into what we got going on. Um, and I feel like we're at that point now where you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm going to say, you know how I'm going to react. You know, I feel like you know me. I feel like I know the listeners, uh, the people that have reached out to me through email, the people that uh, comment or, or visit the uh, Abolitionist Daily uh, Facebook page or, or come to my personal page. I've made a lot of new Facebook friends. My page is wide open, so if you find me, Johanna Nalaya, on uh, on Facebook, I am likely to accept your, your friend request. I mean, I don't have any reason not to, so... Um, and hopefully we'll be able to work together. I'm not big on deleting and blocking people. Um, so typically we just ask for people to be respectful of the conversation because I do engage people in debate and it becomes heated. I mean, like this story we're talking about out of Georgia, it, it went on for hours and we, it, it became, you know, kind of tough in places, but I'm, I'm not going to delete or block people from stating their opinion. I just want to help people understand the truth of these situations. So, when we come back, we'll get into some news headlines. Uh, this is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia on the Black Talk Radio Network. We'll be right back. You know. <laughs> what up? You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia on the Black Talk Radio Network, as you heard in the, in the uh, commercial there that just played. And being this is the Black Talk Radio Network, I have to do my daily stumping. My daily soapbox, I gotta get on, I gotta, I gotta, uh, put my, put the plate out there and let you know we are in the midst of the 2015 Black Talk Radio Network fundraiser. This is essential to the continuation of all programming on these networks, all these different programs that come on, all the different shows and all the different personalities and all the different hosts and guests and all the information. Every single aspect of everything that you have ever experienced or ever want to find out about what you can learn from the Black Talk Radio Network is community supported. We are building a black community, unashamed, unhindered. We have no reason to be ashamed for wanting to and recognizing the need to produce Propaganda that is conducive to black love, black scholarship, black excellence, 
black righteousness, black fellowship. None of these things is a threat to anyone else. This is a help to the whole planet that we get ourselves together. You hear out of one side of people's mouth, why don't black people just do better? Why don't you try harder? Why don't you fix your own problems? Why don't you stop the black on black crime? Why don't you do a better job of raising the kids? Why don't you get a job? Why don't you do all these things black folks are told to do? But somehow it offends non-blacks and most definitely offends black white supremacy sympathizers and puppets and hand tools or whatever that want to kiss up to white supremacy. It seems to offend whenever we discuss building for ourselves. Well, didn't you just say you want us to fix the black community? Black Talk Radio Network is one of those ways. So really, this is something that the most staunch white supremacist, uh, Rush Limbaugh, Bill O'Reilly loving talking point person should want to support. I mean, isn't that what you say, that you want us to fix the black community? Well, this is a place where we're doing that. These channels, these stations, these people, these programs, these are the fixing. This is the lowering of, of the rates for black-on-black -black crime. This is the, the lowering of the rates of black criminality overall. This is the, edu the education of the least educated race, according to all statistics. Black folks is behind in everything. Everything good, black folks is behind. Everything bad, black folks is in the lead. We've all seen it. We've all had it drummed into our freaking heads every day of our lives for as long as we've been on this planet. I, I venture to say there's no person alive on planet Earth right now that has not seen more negative propaganda aimed at people of color than they've seen any other images of, of anything about life. It is the leading message in all media, in all communications, is somehow, even the passive things of, of black holes and black marks and black bald and black, you know, all these different things that are considered to be negative things are always leading back to black people all the way up and through the blatant and obviously racist things that continue to come out in our society college fraternities proudly representing their school and their fraternity singing songs about no niggers and we'll lynch them and black bodies steadily found hanging from trees all through Mississippi North Carolina had one at the uh, Lennon Lacey I think that was North Carolina Delaware's had two or three over the last couple of years so black bodies steadily hanging from trees unsolved murders I mean, all these people committing suicide hanging themselves, you know, 10, 12 feet up in the air from trees. Yeah, that's that happens. So it's so much negativity and you want us to fix it? Then support the Black Talk Radio Network. We're going to help fix it. We are helping fix it. But we need the community to support what we're doing. And it doesn't take much. You can give one, five, ten, twenty, thirty, fifty, a hundred dollars Pledge monthly to give. Give up a McDonald's lunch once a week. Give up going to that damn vending machine two or three times a day. And then talking about your clothes don't fit right. 
Your belt's too tight. Your belly's getting too big. Your butt's too big. You're getting man boobs. Get out the snack machine. Put that two, three, four, five dollars you give to that machine. Send it to Black Talk Radio Network. Send it to Black Talk Radio Network.com. BlackTalkMediaProject.org. There's simple donate tabs right on the homepage. People surfing the web looking for stuff to buy all the time. What else do you need? How much material do you need to keep consuming? I see it all the time. I know people all the time. That's all they do at work all day long. Everybody's so proud of having a job. What they sit and do at that damn job is surf the internet all day. And buy little trinkets and toys and foolishness. To try to fill some hole that can't be filled with material things. That can't be filled with supporting white supremacy. Ultimately, you're not buying from black vendors. You're not even buying from black distributors. You're not even shopping on black-owned websites. But yet you say that our community is in shambles. Yet you say it's the white man's world. Yet you complain about being broke and not having enough and it's somebody else's fault why you, you, you don't have as much money as you need to do the things you need to do. Well, support the Black Talk Radio Network. We're getting the message out. We're helping Stop spending your money with people that are not helping you. These are very simple concepts. Pledge monthly. Give or lump sum amount. We just went through tax season. I guess there's still some people probably still getting some re- returns or something. Don't go spend two, three, four thousand dollars on getting a car payment. You get three grand back, don't go drop the whole thing on a car so you can have a car payment for the next four or five years and still everything is messed up. If you gotta go get a car, give them 2500, send 500 to Black Talk Radio. That's something that will keep giving to you for years. And you ain't gotta pay. You don't have to sit up here and have a responsibility to keep paying and paying and paying. Just make a donation. It's a community sponsored. So we need all those from the community. We see tens of thousands of people month in, month out that follow the programs on this network. And we see the numbers show that people not only tune in, but they stay tuned in. For the entirety of the broadcast, that is not really very common. People surf and channel surf and flip around and go back and forth and have other things to do and walk away and don't listen. And People tune into our programs and stay tuned for the entire two hours or two hours plus. And they count on us for the information. If you're one of those people, please donate. You're going to miss us if, God forbid, we're gone. When the server's down, when the problem is, is arises, when we can't get the show on or at the right time or whatever, it's all kind of emails popping up, people sending inboxes and messages. Are you guys going to be on? Are you guys okay? Is the program coming on? I missed the program. I can't call in. I can't hear it. Well, it's going to be that every single day if you don't give. And where else are you going to get the information? How else are we going to take back the airwaves in our cities? We cannot keep being sexed up and sexed down and turn up and drink up and we can't, we can't do anything with that. Okay. The fantasy's over. We drank our crystal. We chased our girls. We made love to our women. We got bootylicious. We, we showed we was independent and don't need no man. And we did, we did all that old stuff. 
and the community is still in shambles. So to help rebuild it, support the network, make a donation, like I said, one time, or you can pledge month to month. Five, ten, twenty dollars a month, it's not gonna hurt to make sure that the network stays on air. And in the news, I'm gonna stick with this story coming out of Georgia. I'm just gonna read the story to you and then we'll just go back into trying to figure out what's going on and trying to explain to people what the real problems are. The, it's, it's amazing to me. Okay, this is a story, um, coming from News 12 on your side, WRDW TV, Augusta, Georgia. And they had a, a video segment to it and I didn't give it to Scotty in time to, to see if we could play the audio for you. But anyway, um, says the Department of Corrections said the part of Burris Correctional Training Center where a picture of a man shown beaten was taken uh, is now under lockdown. The Department of Corrections stressed there is an ongoing investigation into the incident and the entire facility is not under lockdown just where the incident occurred, of course. Um, News 12 on uh, March 30th reports, a mother wants answers after a picture shows her son beaten at a Georgia correctional facility. Augusta native Cortez Berry is pictured in a photo with his eye swollen shut, something around his neck resembling a noose or a leash, and two men standing over him. Barry turned 18 on Saturday, but it wasn't much of a celebration. Instead of eating birthday cake, he's nursing wounds from a prison beatdown. His mother, Demetria Harris, was first alerted by a friend that the disturbing photo of her son was circulating Facebook. I was like, oh my God, what happened? How did this happen? It's a terrifying picture to see, she said, and it is terrifying. Can you imagine right now, visualize your son. Visualize your daughter. With a a rope around their neck for a a belt. It looks like a cloth belt, like one of those belts where you run it through the one side of the little, it's got the two little little belt loops on the end of it as you run through one side. It's it's kind of tough for little kids to figure out how to tighten them or whatever. Anyway, it appears as though it's like a a belt and it's around his neck and it's like a choke chain and it's pulled tight, it's clenched and then it's wrapped around this guy's hand a few times and he's got it held up like like he's holding a dog. So you can imagine if you, last time you heard from your child, you knew there had been a probation violation. You knew he was going to have to go in the lockup or whatever. This is an ongoing. I mean, everybody doesn't get to raise their children to be on the Brady Bunch or something where, yes, you're, you could still be raising your children and they are making decisions or they are caught up in situations or have uh, chosen friends and environments and, and, and situations or issues for themselves that you still have to be a parent and you still have to keep raising them even though they're going through tough times. See, some people think raising your children is as long as they don't go to prison, then you're raising your children. Or as long as they don't get pregnant at 14, then you're raising your children. But you have to raise your children regardless of the difficulties that you see coming up in their lives. This boy is going to still be this woman's son at 25 if he gets out of this mess and stops what he's doing and gets his life together at, at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, I mean, who's going to care? Who's going to really chase him down to remind him of the rough history he had from 14 to 18? 30, 40-year-old man with a life at that point. That All of that is is now in the past. So that's why you can't just throw these people away. When these situations are occurring, we see people throwing good folks away. And that's what was disturbing to me when I was was, uh, first introduced to this story. So anyway... 
says a million questions flooded her mind when she saw the photo was her son okay how did a cell phone make it into the prison in the first place where are the guards she says i want justice for him i'm going to do whatever it takes to get it for him because at the end of the day he doesn't deserve this no one deserves this it says he landed himself in the augusta ydc when he was 14 for assault robbery and theft he was sent to the Burris Correctional Training Center, a medium security detention center in Forsyth, Georgia, last year for violating his probation. They're not being protected, and I don't care what they're there for. They still need to be protected, said his mother. The attack appears to be gang-related. The caption on the photo posted on Facebook reads, When you dis disrespect the nation, it brings nothing but pain and suffering. Experts are saying it's a reference to the gang GD Nations, short for Gangster Disciples. Cortez's aunt, Shavandria Wright, was finally able to see him Saturday during visiting hours to find out what happened. Ten people jumped on him and just kept beating him, and they choked him till he passed out. Pretty much they left him there for dead, she said. The Wrights, the family's biggest question in all of this is, where were the guards? He didn't get checked on until 9.45 the previous night. This happened at 3.15 in the afternoon, and he didn't, he didn't get checked on until 9.45. Now, his family wants justice and assurance that their loved one will be able to pay his debt to society without being killed. We could have lost him. He could have been dead, especially when they hung the belt around his neck. He could have just been gone, said Wright. The Department of Corrections tells News 12 the department is fully aware of this incident and is currently under investigation. The department does not allow inmates to have access to cell phones as possession of such contraband is deemed illegal. Introduction of cell phones into our facilities is a nationwide issue the correction system is facing. The department continuously works to utilize extensive resources to combat this issue. We take very seriously our mission of protecting the public and running safe and secure facilities. Okay, sure you do. So there you have it. Gang, some sort of gang affiliated. I mean, I don't know. I guess that's, they said that's what the, the caption is on the Facebook, on the picture that's out there. So you got a 14 year old troubled that has been in the system for some years now. He was on, he was in a youth center when he was 14, served his time, whatever he was sentenced at that point, and he's been put on probation ever since. He violated his probation somehow. And he's back in lockup. Now, we don't know the details. So, I mean, really, that's why I was coming at it from the angle I was, because I feel like that's sober. I feel like that's sober-minded. I feel like it's being responsible to just start off cool and collected. And let's just look at it like this. We don't know what he did. We don't know his circumstances. We don't know what has caused him to be there. We don't know what caused him to be his so-called violation that got him his probation violation that got him back. We don't know these details. We just don't know. And for my money, there's way too many people being exonerated. There's way too many thousands of people. The Innocence Project said on their website they filled you know, tens of thousands of requests from people to look into their cases. Are they all innocent? Probably not. But that's just the Innocence Project. 
There's district attorney's offices all around the country now developing these conviction integrity units like Ken Thompson in Brooklyn. Like our brother down in Dallas was was doing there for a while. He was uh, recently uh, voted out of that position, and I believe to a degree it had it had to do with he was setting too many folks free. He was helping too many people. They want convictions. <laughs> Texas is not known for number one. Texas is not getting ready to admit that Texas did anything wrong. So when you're looking at a situation where you've got an entire unit that is investigating the, the integrity of the Craig Watkins, that was his name. I almost forgot the brother's name. Uh, brother Craig Watkins down there. He's back in private practice and he's doing the same work in private practice now. He's found his calling. He's moving forward. So when you see dozens and dozens of outlets, I mean, uh, Northwestern University is involved. I find a lot of information on their website. Uh, Illinois has some different innocence projects I know of. Indiana. I mean, I've, there's these things are out there. If you're looking around, there's dozens and dozens of, of, you know, organizations operating together as well as independent to, to bring about, you know, the reversal of these convictions and the vacation of these, uh, of these convictions on people because people are starting to realize at 2.4 million, you gotta have, I mean, it's just impossible to, to not have significant error. See, when we had 25,000 people in lockup, there was some wrong cases then too. I told you the other day about the state of Georgia, state of Florida, or state of Tennessee, state of Alabama, Louisiana, and the beginnings, the literal beginnings of their prison systems, and the numbers, and after emancipation, you began to see 50%, 60%, up to 70% in some cases, black folks in prison, the former slaves, the former people on the plantations suddenly become criminal. They need to be locked up. These people have been living on a plantation. They don't know any other life. They don't know anything else. The fact that you had them as slaves living on a plantation should say to you enough that these are not people with criminal intentions in the least. They don't want to be beat, I'm sure. They don't want to be hung, raped, tortured, or whatever. These people are living on plantations as slaves. How in the hell do you justify in 12 months or less hundreds and hundreds of them just you know what we got to just go do crime now but we've shown you the laws we've shown you the black codes we've shown you how they continue to criminalize their existence to justify putting them into prison so they could turn around and make them slaves again and even in those cases we know that those are high degrees of wrongful convictions wrong arrest wrongful convictions illegal detentions Nothing has really changed, folks. I don't know what this boy did is all I'm saying. And I'm not there to, to know the full details, and I'm sure more information will come out. And trust me, if he can be criminalized, if he can be uh, blamed as a victim, if he can be turned and, and made to look like total black darkness of death and filth and just the worst of the earth or whatever, then he's going to be done that way post-haste. They won't hesitate. There's probably a story out today if there's something they could say. Oh, well, you know, his assault charge was for beating an old lady with a baseball bat and stealing her purse and raping her dog. I mean, this is the way the media works. They're going to tell you if there's any dirt to dish on him. It's going to happen. But what you got to understand is no matter what he did, he wasn't sentenced to rape and beating and torture in prison. 
He was sent to prison to be rehabilitated. He was sent to prison to get him a fresh start, to get his head on straight, to help him figure out what he's doing wrong, take some time out, some time on the bench, get out the game, hit the reset, get your priorities straight, and then come on back out, a stronger man, a better man, ready to help, ready to let the, let the community know, let the children know. But that's not what we're seeing when we see our children getting beat up and raped and tortured and tied up like dogs and humiliated like this. What do you think is the, what do you think is going to happen to this boy when he gets back out? This is a viral video, a viral picture rather that's going around social media showing him being humiliated like this. Do you think this is helpful to him? And the family has a valid concern to be asking, why are there cell phones in the prison anyway? Especially if the family's playing by the rules and paying fifteen dollars to for the first minute and seven ninety five for every additional minute to talk to him over the phone, especially if the family is going through all these difficulties that we see going state to state to these prisons to even visit people depending on where this is located uh, uh, in distance from where he actually his family lives I mean I work with Family United Transportation here in Kansas City, uh, Kansas and Missouri State Prisons and it's amazing the number of people that have never even considered that these people have families and need to be able to see them and keep a, a tie together, keep the, the love between it's a completely underserved market. I mean, it's, it's amazing. People need transportation. You take a cab ride to a state prison from where the major city is, you could easily be looking at two, three hundred dollars one way. Who has that? These people come from the poorest families. They can't afford to call them. They can't afford to go visit them. They can't afford to send them anything. And so to look up and see, your poor family, see your poor family member that wanted to slip through and couldn't even stay out here is being filmed on camera by, with a handheld device of some sort that's been snuck into prison. Well, that's a whole separate issue we've discussed is the staff is the underpaid job. You pay people $20,000 a year to work these jobs. Of course, they're going to be tempted. That's what's going on in Florida now. That's what the witnesses came and testified before the Senate judiciary committee and told them yes it's all the time they tell you all the time you can get a thousand dollars for a pack of cigarettes we give you five hundred dollars a piece for a cell phone you think you're going to keep the guards from doing that and I mean that's criminal behavior but there's no guards going to get in trouble for it Mississippi prisons Mississippi is so happy and proud right now to tout how they did a lockdown and they did a they did a crackdown and, and found all the shanks and found all the phones and found all the contraband and but it's just no in all the state prisons there's no guards being fired there's no guards being brought up on criminal charges so either the guard didn't search people when they were coming in or maybe the guards are the ones bringing the contraband in but all we see on the news is the table stretched out far and wide full of phones and tell us about how bad these prisoners are because they're sneaking in phones. Who's bringing it in? Same thing in Georgia. Who's bringing this in here? Since you want to talk about criminality, I'm just saying. 
I'm not necessarily against uh, prisoners having cell phones. Honestly, it, I, it doesn't bother me. But I understand that there's some that abuse the privilege, and or I won't even call it a privilege because it's illegal, but but abuse it and torture and intimidate witnesses or intimidate you know victims or whatever. I, I understand. I know the stories of what people can do that's wrong. I, I mean, I get that. I'm not encouraging it. I'm just saying that I'm not going to sit up here and, and start stumping for that because it's not. What can I do? The guards are bringing them in. If it's against the rules, against the law, then get the guards, put the guards in prison. It's the same thing we see on the outside. There's some people that are being criminalized for their behavior, and there's a lot of people that are being criminal and doing criminal things that aren't even being looked at. It's a difference between black and white. It's very simple. I'm not going to pull punches on my own show. Anytime you can look at these damn drug arrests, city to city, state to state, all over this country, and in every case, come on, man, you gotta, you, you when are we ever gonna tell the truth about the situation? In every case, I posted um, a story a few days ago that was talking about how um, the numbers incarcerated per capita of blacks you know to whites or whatever in state to state and people were trying to tell me how these numbers must be you know phony numbers because it was showing like the state of Vermont and it was showing like uh, 2,000 for every 100,000 um, blacks incarcerated you know the rates or whatever and it's a thing where you're doing it it's a ratio that you're doing so they say the 2,000 for every 100,000 not saying there's 100,000 black people in the state of Vermont that's the rate that's the ratio but when you go Excuse me. When you go and you and you look at the website and you look at the numbers overall, you look at the actual charts. Hell, there is no state in the country. Do you understand that? There is no place in America, any of the fifty states, where there are more white people in prison than black people how was that even possible I mean do you know how many states there are where there's like like no black people basically a few thousand and for that to be the case should shock you Even in Hawaii, where the black incarceration rate is the lowest in the country, black people are still more likely to be locked up than white people anywhere in the United States. In places like Iowa, Minnesota, black people are more than 10 times as likely as white people to be in state prison or jail. So when we come back, we're going to uh, to continue to look at this and then and, and transition that into the Florida uh, situation. Get some of this news out of the way. I didn't mean to take up as much time on this, but this is ridiculous. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia. We will be right back. Indiana Governor Mike Pence just signed the Religious Freedom Bill. 
a bill that will allow business owners to deny services to same-sex couples. Could this go beyond same-sex couples? Who's next on this slippery slope? Then there's the former University of Oklahoma student, captioned on video, reciting racist chants, offering a public apology flanked by African Americans. Was this apology sincere enough for you? We will listen to the apology on air and talk about how forgiven we are as a people. Also, we now know that the German Wings co-pilot is believed to have locked the pilot out of the cockpit and deliberately crashed the plane into the French Alps last week. May have been depressed. Depressed but not a terrorist? Let's talk about that. And finally, driving while black in Michigan can be dangerous if you are driving a Cadillac. Just ask longtime Detroit auto worker James Dent. These stories and more Wednesday on the Tiny Free and Friends talk show and 24-7 on tinyfree.com. Until then, be free and remember to live life with a purpose. The Tiny Free and Friends talk show, your destination for the best in social and political straight talk. Wednesdays at 2 p.m. streaming live on tanyafree.com and blacktalkradionetwork.com. Join the conversation Wednesdays at 2 p.m. This is Brother Elliot, first of time for an awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johanna and Elijah. Let me give you the number, 712-775-7035. Access code is 367526-POUND. You hit star six and one to uh, to buzz in, and you will be on the air. We can discuss these matters. We were talking about this situation that came out of Augusta, with this 18-year-old boy being attacked by other inmates in the prison. And, and my, you know, fuss over it is, of course, that it happened. But, I mean, as much as it happened, I'm I'm amazed at, you know, our own people at just throwing these children away. Like, I just, I'm basically speechless at it. Like, how do you just say that he deserves this or that this is okay? We can't monitor them 24 hours a day. They can't protect you all the time. Uh, you know, all these people are criminals and this is just what they're going to do. I mean, all kind of talk that people just spew out and I, I don't understand it. You damn right. We can protect them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's what you said you were going to do when you took them off the street, put them in custody and your custody. If something's in my custody, then I'm responsible for it. That's not anything I really got to go deep into explaining for it. I mean, damn. Custody is custody. Evidence custody, chain of custody. Hell, I used to work for Lab One years ago. We used to take in people's piss tests for drug tests and saliva tests and DNA tests, blood tests. All of that stuff has got a chain of chain of command on it, a chain of custody on it. Everybody that touches has got a sign for it. You just, oh, well, you can't watch it all the time. So we care more about piss than about people? Think about that. Your mail order products you get from Amazon.com, we care more about the chain of custody. We care more about it ordering a new... Tablet, a new laptop, a new book, a new 
whatever. Then we care about people, seriously. The person's in one place. He's not traveling. He's in one spot. All you got to do is make sure he don't get raped and tied up like a dog. Keep telling you people, you're not getting your money. You're not getting any value out of this thing. You're not get, There's no value to you supporting mass incarceration. It's a ripoff. It's not going to be a value-oriented proposition in the least. Your tax dollars, I guarantee you Georgia... It's spending hundreds and hundreds of millions of your tax dollars every year on its Department of Corrections. What are you getting out of it? That woman pays out of her taxes. But what is she getting out of it? Her son was damn near murdered. Taxation without representation, I suppose. And like I said, we're looking at Florida and what they're doing down there with the House. And again, we're transitioning right into Florida because Florida is, is, I mean, doing the same thing. We're seeing people being murdered in custody there. Countless cases. They've got a website. Inmate mortality website to show you the people that have been dead and killed down there and the people that have died. So that's why Florida is one that we're looking at also. And the House bill, criminal sub, uh, criminal justice subcommittee from the House. says so it requires that projections of prison admissions and populations for elderly uh, felony offenders uh, says it removes pro, uh, prohibition on assessing certain victim injury sentence points for sexual misconduct by employees of the DOC or private correctional facilities with inmates offenders so that should tell you something right there this is the House's bill. This is what they counter. When the Senate sent over a plan that said that they simply want to add in an independent oversight committee to make sure these investigations are going on, to make sure people are not being intimidated, to make sure that the situation is not continuing unabated as it has for decades, and to make sure we don't keep on seeing new Secretaries of the Department of Commission just continue to, or Department of Corrections continue to come in on a carousel, one after the other after the other. Actually, get some independent oversight so we can see what's going on, get some real investigations, get some justice for the murdered. The House comes back with, and that's why I got to figure out who's behind this. Who is paying these people? Is the House in the pocket of the private prisons? Because for what it's worth, I don't see Greg Everson, I don't see the committee, the Senate committee, being appearing as though they're really influenced by any. They seem to be driven for toward what is right, towards trying to help or trying to fix the situation. But this House bill is scandalous right off the bat. First thing it says: remove prohibition on assessing certain victim injury sentence points for sexual misconduct by employees of DOC or private correctional facilities 
with inmates or officers. They want to expand the DOC Security Review Committee functions to include safe operations in institutions and facilities, revised provisions relating to physical inspections of state and private buildings and structures and prioritized institutions for inspection, revises provisions relating to duties of staff con uh, concerning safety and security, prohibits inmates from receiving incentive gain time credits for completing requirements in receiving high school equivalency diploma or vocational certificate if inmate was convicted of specified offense on or after specified date, requires that a copy of written memorandum of understanding for notification and investigation of certain events between DOC and Florida Department of Law, Law Enforcement be provided in a timely manner, requires specialized training for inspectors in certain circumstances. But they pull the oversight. So you want to basically put in a new bill, make it a law that continues what is already in place and not include the oversight that is obviously needed because the existing the Office of Inspector General they came, witnesses came and spoke at length all day long in the session with the Senate and told them these are the actual inspectors they told them they're getting low to no pay, I mean the pay is horrible the, what the work they're doing is long hours with very little staff you got one person that's inspecting tens of thousands of you know inmates the population of several prisons with one person taking all those cases all those hours they're working the equipment is bad and old and out of date so these are things that they were already told by the office of inspector general as well as the intimidation if you are indeed a whistleblower if you are indeed telling about what you're finding and he talked about people uh telling them up the line to just leave things alone he had a warden that was laying up with one of the nurses and her care for an inmate or lack of care for an inmate led to his death and it was told to leave it alone because it's the warden's girlfriend and on and on and on with the corruption so they make no provision for oversight you've had seven department of corrections secretaries in the last eight years you've had four or three in the last four years No criminality being pursued against any of these murderers, uh, guards. The contraband is off the chain. The people are telling you they're being bribed to bring in cigarettes and cell phones and whatever else people want on the inside that they can come up with the cash. Somebody can give, send the cash in. They can afford to give it to them and they'll pay the guard and he can, and the guy's making 20 G's a year. The inspectors are making $25,000, $30,000 a year and working all these hours and they have no resources. These people are taking the money to survive and to, to have a life of their own while they're doing all this and they try to push it up the line and nothing happens and so we see the house try to strike down a bill that comes out of senate and not agree with them that we need oversight push forward their own bill that just perpetuates what's already in place and it's not being enforced and you wonder why the politics of your state don't work you wonder why the politics of your situation your vote is not fixing your community As we say all the time in the movement now, Ferguson, America, man. Ferguson is not an anomaly. The politics is not a mystery anymore. We understand what's happening. We know what we're looking at. Now it's just a matter of us 
I, I guess we just got to keep convincing you and you convincing other people to let them know we have a problem here so we can work together to try to fix what's happening we got a 12 years a slave situation and I believe Scotty Reed covered this where I first heard it on Black Talk Radio Network sister's professional good job pulled over by the cops they couldn't believe that she was who she said she was took her and snatched her up put her in jail she spent 8 days locked in the hospital psych ward cause they just couldn't believe that this 32 year old black woman was the owner of this BMW and that she really did have a job and really did have a have a life they accused her of being high on marijuana impounded her car there was never any marijuana found in the vehicles never whatever and this is a prime example of what I talk about all the time with too many Solomon Northrops and not not enough Denmark VCs. not enough Nat Turners hell you want to be common and go in love and hold hand bring common to come help this woman with this situation says an African American businesswoman from Long Island was drugged and locked in a hospital psych ward for eight days because first police and then doctors could not believe her high powered career was real the hideous ordeal began last September as 32 year old former Citigroup banker Cam Brock drove her BMW through Harlem the NYPD pulled her over accused her of being high on marijuana and pounded her car no weed was ever found in the vehicle the next day she went to pick up her vehicle and confronted officers about their treatment she was forcibly sedated, cuffed and sent to a Harlem hospital on arrival, she was locked up in the psych ward as an emotionally disturbed person. Next thing you know, the police held on to me. The doctor struck, stuck me with a needle, and I was knocked out. I woke up with them taking off my underwear, and then I went out again. I woke up the next day in a hospital robe. But this was only the beginning of her nightmare, as the New York Daily News reports. Cam Brock's frightening eight-day one flew over the cuckoo's nest ordeal at the mental facility included forced injections, powerful sedatives and demands she down doses of lithium medical records obtained through her suit filed in Manhattan Federal Court show in efforts to establish her credibility and sanity Brock tried to explain who she was she told doctors about her job and that President Obama follows her on Twitter both of which are true they argued that she was delusional and bipolar which is also true but they didn't they weren't arguing it for that from that angle she sure as hell is delusional and bipolar if she thought these white supremacist devils gave a damn about her job, gave a damn about Obama's office or whoever's running his Twitter following her. See, that's the problem with these Solomon Northrops. You really think these people give a damn about you? You honestly believe it, though. That's the thing, is you really do believe it. You think I'm crazy. You think people that are talking about the problems are just a part of the problem and not a part of the solution. You should be getting your PhD so you can go get this job and work for city group like me because we're going to fix it from the inside. You need to make sure Master's happy with you and you get a whole big old plate of butter biscuits so you can be a good one and then the Master won't treat you so bad. How freaking idiotic are people going to just continue to be? Slavery lasted for hundreds of years in this country. Not because white people were so good at terrorizing black people that we just couldn't never get out. Not because we just was so confounded and just couldn't, oh, you got me again. Oh, I can't figure out how to get out of slavery. They didn't have nothing to do with none of that. Slavery lasted in this country for as long as it did. And really around the world. We should look at uh, colon uh, colonization and Africans being used in colonization 
of of all these little places around the planet, we should really look at the African mind condition overall because we seem to believe back then, just like we believe right now, in there being some meritocracy. In fact, there was a law for meritorious manumissions. And I think just like you hear the Jim the uh Jim Crow, the uh Willie Lynch letter is quoted all the time. People talk about this is why black folks treat each other the way they do and this is why we act how we act. Yeah, maybe Willie Lynch did. I don't even know if that's real. I don't know. I don't even get into that. Because what I know for a fact is real is meritorious manumissions law, 1710, I believe. They told these Negroes, if you do something nice for the white man, I'll set you free. Bottom line, meritorious manumissions means if you do something meritorious if you do something to invent something to come up with something to make the master's life better if you save master's life if you put down any slave rebellions if you give me the the plans the ideas if you tell me who's plotting if you just generally help our white folks then I'll set you free now we don't know how many slaves were manumitted through these methods but they certainly believed that that was a way to get out and these Negroes still believe this to this day. Sorry this happened to this sister. I hope I don't sound cold against her suffering. I don't want nobody to suffer and I damn sure would be pissed. There's my woman, my mom, my sister. Hell yeah, I'd be going crazy. I'd be going off right now about it happening. But at the same time, if this person is walking around thinking because she got a job, this is what she said her own testimony. She woke up in front of these cops, in front of these doctors. They sticking you with needles and putting your ass to sleep. You waking up naked and in a hospital room and you in on the fifth floor. And you're trying to tell them, well, I have a great job and Obama follows me on Twitter. Maybe it was the drugs. I don't know. Maybe she was high and she didn't know what she was saying. New York Daily News was able to gain access to Harlem Hospital's treatment for uh, plan for Brock, which read objective. Patient will verbalize the importance of education for employment and will state that Obama is not following her on Twitter and patient's weaknesses, inability to test reality and her unemployment. In reality, Barack Obama's Twitter account, which is not actually run by President Obama or even the White House, follows about 640,000 people, including Barack. One way to test that reality might have been to look at her Twitter account, which is public. And the account was being followed by Barack Obama. Doctors could have also uh, verified her employment history with ease had they so chosen. She's got several Instagram photos from her time at Citibank available publicly. They show company emails announcing the most productive personal bankers of the month, a list which Barack consistently topped and shared with pride. A simple Google search of her name or a few phone calls would have cleared this, this situation in a matter of minutes, but no such measures were taken. Is it really so unbelievable that a black woman in America might own a BMW legitimately, bought with wages from a successful career? Apparently so. Medical records show that for eight days she was forced to attend group therapy, suffer injections of heavy sedatives, and swallow lorazepam and lithium pills, all in efforts to have her deny her own life story. When she was finally released, no apologies were made for the mistake. Instead, she was handed a $13,000 medical bill. Brock has since filed a suit against the city citing unspecified damages. New York City's law department are reviewing the suit. So, I think that's a pretty self-explanatory situation. 
I mean, it's like we say, you know, you either helping or you're hurting. You know, you either sowing or you're scattering. There is no individualist agenda that can be sustained here. Sorry. There's no movie where there's just some one lone wolf black person that can just be wealthy. I mean, you don't even see that in the movies. Hell, Negroes die in the movies. Ain't too many movies where the black folks in the movie and they, they end well, they end up with the money. They do not very many, if all, if any at all. Not too many books. And surely not reality. You either get in this struggle and you end it for real, you abolish the system for real forever, and you remain vigilant and you stay at war, keeping down your oppressor and your enemy so they don't gain the power again to do what they did before and when they do it again they will do it even more completely because they don't count on you ever fighting to get out of it in the first place so if you manage somehow to fight to get out of it it's going to be an ongoing war so you're not going to be able to fight and abolish this and then go back to working for Wall Street sorry maybe working for Wall Street ain't such a great thing to be doing I mean, when I read this, that's why I had to just share this on the on the uh, broadcast today. Because when I read this, I couldn't even believe. Like, that's what you say when you find yourself in this situation. That's what you say. Obama's follows me on Twitter. I have a great job on Wall Street or whatever. I mean. People are amazing to me. We are in the midst of an unprecedented, and I do mean historically, there is no precedent we have ever found that demonstrates that any state has ever imprisoned as large a number of people, as large a percentage of its overall population to its own self and as well as to the planet itself overall of people as the United States of America and you got the average every everyday dumb cluck people with PhDs and MBAs and she's a good looking black woman very pretty black lady highly educated obviously I'm sure she's skiweeing and running around making the delta or whatever the negroes do to try to be uh, black greeks these agendas people are not getting us anywhere you realize right now the two most controversial commentaries regarding the situation of slavery and human trafficking in america right now in the last 12 months have been given to us by asian american women Just let that sink in. We had the Huffington Post article that came out from Angela Chan, who's a lead attorney for an Asian American activism group. Highly educated, decorated, recognized, great mind in the legal community. Works in activism, works for, for Asian rights in America. And she had to write the Huffington Post article telling people that slavery 
was never abolished in the United States of America. It can't be challenged. She hasn't been called to the table because her words are untrue. The mass media has just gone ahead and ignored her. The same shows, Politics Nation and now Al Sharpton and MSNBC and CNN and all these same people that have been bringing her in for interviews to discuss other things. Don't want to talk to her about that. Just going to let that one slide. Just let that go. And secondly, we got Naomi Mirakawa went on the, on the uh, Real News Network and produced her own communication discussing the Department of Justice and the racial profiling guidelines that Eric Holder set out in the weeks after Michael Brown's death preparing the city of Ferguson when they sent up their report to the Department of Justice letting them know exactly what template they must follow and that's what she told us. She said it in no uncertain terms. Because we had David Clark on the front lines trying to make us believe that Eric Holder was race baiting. Eric Holder was the creating division amongst the states. Eric Holder is the biggest criminal. Eric Holder that need to stay out of the legal affairs of the, of the cities. I trust the city cops. I trust the local cops. This is all David Clark. Sheriff of Milwaukee County. The most incarcerated population of black folks in America. People, I can't keep presenting to you all these absurdities and abnormalities and insanities and expect you to just, I guess, remain silent and act like it, it doesn't. What? Tell me if I'm crazy then. But when I keep going state to state and telling you about statistics and telling you about individuals and talking heads, when I tell you David Clark is a black man, well, we find out he's a, he's a mixed race, but he's obviously taken as being a black man. He's not presenting himself as a white man other than how he's talking, but he's not out here denying his blackness. He's using both sides of it as he should. It's, his, it's all of his blood. So I suppose he can talk about whatever he wants to. That's not my issue. The issue I have is that he's steadily trying to d d uh, mislead us, misdirect us, and tell us about what should happen in, the, in affairs of justice and affairs of incarceration in our country and here he is presiding over a county in the state with the most black men incarcerated per capita of anywhere in this country Wisconsin is hands down the top of all charts of all calculations and Milwaukee is leading among them And not by a thin margin, by a large measure. The most incarcerated county, city, state, in the most incarcerating nation on the planet. And this is a guy that you bring as a talking head to discuss these issues. And he told us that the DOJ racial profiling report was all about taking power away from local cops. And it took an Asian American woman to come out and say to us, that ain't what is happening. And I can't believe he read this report and that's what he thinks is happening. What this report is saying, and then we found out for ourselves reading and studying it, that she's telling the truth. What the report was doing was telling the cities, the localities, exactly what to say, exactly what to do, exactly how to put together your report so we can render it 
it's unprosecutable so we can go ahead and shine on yet another criminal event of a cop and just send them on back to you and then you can just decide what you want to do but you're taking the pressure off of the feds to actually have to investigate if you say these things if you put these things in this manner if you put this report together like this following our guidelines we will not be able to prosecute and the evidence of that was handed to you in the next few weeks when they gave their report on Darren Wilson the city of Ferguson used the DOJ template that Eric Holder put down what the hell is David Clark talking about saying that Holder was doing something against cops he just exonerated Wilson before it was, he even got the damn report he told them how to put it together and when he got it he put a rubber stamp on it and sent it back hey we couldn't have prosecuted him either huh. next issue oh well it just so happens that it is a criminally racist city criminally constitutionally violating these people's rights in the law generating revenue off of their suffering and terror terrorization but this cop that killed somebody he didn't do nothing wrong because he followed our guidelines and so I started the program today telling you about a, a young boy in, in a, a local jail in Georgia with a leash around his neck getting raped and beaten and what have you by the other inmates cell phones used to take the pictures and sending out Facebook posts so no guards on duty not watching or whatever he's six seven hours of being passed out in the cell and nobody checked on him I go into telling you about the state of Florida fighting in the house and senate over how to put forward a proper bill to create some laws that will help to protect the people who are held in custody in the state so two custody situations no relief in sight then I tell you about people on the outside perfectly free and, and not offending black women so don't do the crime you don't want to have to see the cops okay that applies to what spends eight days in the psych ward and I tell you about these stories of people and individuals going through these things and I want to know do you got solutions when we come back the lines are still open if you got some answers and solutions to these things and we hopefully will have a Professor Phil to come on and give us his solutions. The phone number to the program is uh, 712-775-7035, access code 367 pounds hit star 6 and 1, and you will be on the line. This is the Abolitionist Daily. We're looking for solutions. We'll be right back. It seemed that the clouds parted to the villa's tongue He said, my son, the revolution has begun And with that, I knew the message was clear Kill the oppressor who kept us in prison for years Raped our women and laughed in our tears Made us build dead men while they sit back in their chairs Late night, I plowed with my peers We built weapons, no guns We must slice them from neck to the ears with spears So they can hear the pain of a people who are God's creation, not theirs I'm the one that they don't teach you you are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for live programming schedules. Visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia here on the Black Talk Radio Network. So as we said before the break, it's just so many cases, both in custody and there's also people that are not even offending and having their uh, in involvement with the police resulting in their uh, being terrorized and abused, mishandled and molested. I mean, this is just the reality of the truth, people. This is the, what's really going on. And these are just the cases 
that we have time to cover, we could talk about here and there. You know, this is not um, like anomalies that we're presenting. These are not rare instances where, you know, this or that is some crazy situation. This is pretty much the norm. I mean, you see people, even when they're talking about shootings that occur, let's say, for instance, you see a lot of them are, are caused by what cops say the person took off running. Do you think people are running for their lives because they think they're not going to be killed? Because they think they're not going to be abused, tortured, wrongfully imprisoned? That's exactly why they are running. That's exactly why people are running for their lives and why they are making these moves, furtive motions or whatever they call it. They, they made a move that made me think he was going to do. He's trying to run for their life. They're trying to get away. You can't expect people to just sit here and accept what they're seeing on the news, what they're hearing on Abolitionist Daily. They realize that any interaction is likely to end up with them being abused, wrongfully arrested or, or searched and seized and to be honest with you people just can't afford it in addition to not being able to afford the physical torture of it and the psychological torture of it people can't financially afford to be detained and to bail themselves out and to fight the court and fight the system and all of that they just don't have the cash I'm not going to sit up here and play proud and like I'm some wealthy person or whatever I can't afford that foolishness I stay out the street I don't I did it for years. I was out there. I had to go somewhere every day, constantly. I see people still doing it now. It amazes me. You got somewhere to be. You got somewhere to go. You got something to do all the time. And you see these people out here, mad dog in these streets. You see every time you leave the house, you see two or three people pulled over. Motorcycle cops hiding behind the wall or whatever. And you see the, you know, patrol cops and SUVs. And you just see people just constantly interacting with the police in an unfavorable manner. Generating that revenue. I, I personally, I don't need it. I, I gave, I gave already. I gave enough. But it's just difficult to get people to take it seriously. I guess I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. I stay doing this because I hope that this is going to be the change that people need. I hope it's going to make a difference. So with the Florida thing, we've been working with uh, George Malincrot now for the over the last year, uh, former psychotherapist at uh, Dade Correctional Institution where uh, Darren Rainey was boiled to death until his flesh fell off of his bones. His meat literally was boiled off of him. Um, George was there. He was one of the whistleblowers, one of the people trying to send the information up the line, even all the way to uh, Attorney General Eric Holder. Um, trying to get this info out, trying to get, you know, some, somebody to come and investigate and look and see what's going on. And he is, uh, also the author of a book named, uh, Getting Away with Murder, which tells the story about Darren Rainey and tells about his own time when he worked in the uh, Day Correctional Facility where Horizon Healthcare was his employer and the uh, health provider for the facility. And, um, George is out there, you know, he's one of these people. I mean, this is what we ask people to do. The call to action is asking people to get deeply involved in this thing. Give what you have to give. Be prepared to sacrifice your lifestyle or, or you know, your norms 
for the sake of your community. I mean, where else are you going to live? You know, it's just like they talk about taking care of your health and eating right or whatever. What else are you going to do? I mean, where else are you going to live when you killed your body? Same thing. Where else are you going to live when you've seen the set by and watched the destruction of your communities and your society overall is gone? Your jobs are gone. Your taxes are going towards people's pockets and not towards any benefit of your community. Everybody you know is getting incarcerated. I mean, it's a war going on and you take no place in it. Well, George is taking a place in it. So um, I'm going to share a link to the Abolitionist Daily page. He's got a GoFundMe account going, um, asking for support um, as he is a full-time you know, abolitionist. Actually, he came on New Abolitionist Radio and, and openly claimed that, that, yes, I must be an abolitionist. I am an abolitionist. The work he's doing is for the mentally ill, um, the abused. So these are the people that are abused the most inside the prisons where they abuse the most people is the mentally ill. And he's definitely on the front lines fighting for that. So I just want to give him a shout out and I will be putting the link to his, uh, GoFundMe account on, on the page also. I mean, we got enough, uh, spending money around in America where you can help two causes. You can help the Black Talk Radio Network and help George's cause. There's no conflict there. But, uh, he put forward an opinion that goes along with this, uh, Florida thing also. And as an expert in it, you know, on being right there on the ground, I just want to, uh, read off from from this editorial it says uh, the new prison's chief is shielding her eyes to the horror. It says there may be relatively benign explanations for last year's record 346 inmate fatalities in Florida prisons. The inmate population is aging, for example, but the horrific history of hist- of years long abuse and denial of medical care exposed in recent news of- accounts suggests a more sinister cause, including sadistic cruelty inflicted by guards and condoned by higher ups. The allegations should trigger an intense and open investigation by state officials, including new Department of Corrections Chief Julie Jones. Instead of providing heightened oversight and an unshakable commitment to reform, Jones has slid too easily into a culture of denial and even cover-up. Jones is joined in this grievous failure by too many legislatures, legislators and even Governor Rick Scott. In a recent interview with National Public Radio, Julie Jones denied the prison system is shot through with corruption and physical abuse. I think what we have is a group of disgruntled employees that do not have the best interests of the department at heart, she said. Whew. Not that I had any faith in her. I'm just going to be honest. I've been ridiculing her uh, openly, trying to say I'm not going to be against her, but I could already tell what the problem is going to be. When you've had three department heads in the last four years in the same government's term, he just got reelected. This was all going on in his first term. You gotta know the guy's not looking for somebody that's gonna fix anything. He had Mike Cruz in there. He was trying, but he even, he wasn't the hammer. I mean, he was trying. He fired several people. He got rid of a lot of the folks that were part of the situations. He didn't go after criminal charges necessarily on anybody, but at least he was trying. Julie Jones comes in, bakes up a batch of cookies, makes everybody feel good and tell them, don't worry about your job. I got your back. I'm not gonna let anything bad be said about you. Goes on national public radar. Radar goes on national public radio and tells the world that what she thinks is going on in a prison system that's killed 350 people in one calendar year. She thinks what's happening is there's a few disgruntled employees that don't have the best interests of the department at heart. So what is she saying? That they should be keeping their mouth shut? That's having the best interests of the department is to just turn a blind eye to these deaths. Let us handle it. We'll put them on the website. People don't care. You don't need to say anything. Stop trying to tell on us. 
For Jones, who has been in charge only a matter of weeks, to blame a few bad apples for the horrors described by the Miami Herald and other media's uh, defies belief. Yes, it does. Remember that prison inspectors also have told legislators that their attempts to document and to report abuses were stymied by their superiors. That's a description of systemic corruption. Not only has Jones apparently prejudged the outcome shortly after taking office, she issued what amounts to, because of its chilling effect, a gag order affecting the department's inspectors. The horror, his, the horror stories include accounts of inmates repeatedly subjected to random gassing with caustic agents and other discipline that included being stripped naked and left for up to two or three days on cold metal bunks. Inmates soaked in chemicals were not given the opportunity to wash off those substances. One inmate died after being repeatedly gassed and left on the floor of his cell, and he might have been singled out for gassing in the first place after being accused of, quote-unquote, faking an asthma attack. Another inmate was called along with the program, were ostracized, ridiculed, and even dismissed. Governor Scott, who has been accused by former DOC Chief Mike Cruz of trying to cover up these abuses for his own political purposes, has opposed legislative proposals to add oversight to the prison system, and Scott's attempt to hide the horrors apparently is working. A Senate plan to create an independent Florida Corrections Commission is meeting House resistance. The well-meaning Senate plan, SB 7020, would create the Independent Oversight Commission. That plan appears headed for full Senate approval. It has flaws. For example, it gives all nine oversight commission appointments to the governor. So he's still going to say who's on the on the panel. I don't know why he doesn't want it. He can still handpick nine people to oversee, to oversee the corruption and still go with him if that's what he so chooses to do. Scott's attitude demonstrates why that's a bad idea. Instead of closing loopholes in the Senate version, a House version, which was passed unanimously just Tuesday by the Criminal Justice Subcommittee does away with the Independent Oversight Commission entirely. The excuse, the Oversight Board would represent an unnecessary layer of bureaucracy. Okay. That is an absurd objection. An oversight which would which would cost roughly $7 million clearly can't come from within. Particularly if Jones is afraid to look for problems and Scott is actively trying to conceal the problems. The House version relies on those who perpetrated the abuse and enabled and hid the abuse to suddenly come forward to expose and prevent the abuse. It is encouraging that even some House members recognize that their chamber's version falls far short of the necessary intervention. Representative Carlos Trujillo, the uh, Miami Republican who chairs the panel, said he hoped the House version will be strengthened. The Herald reported that he said, Florida's record of inmate deaths is completely unacceptable as a state, and I'm sure something we're ashamed happened under our watch. I'm not so sure. None of them lost their jobs. None of them is, is missing a paycheck. None of them quit. How are you going to tell me you're ashamed that that happened on your watch? There's no repercussions affecting you. Still had another $10,000 a month this month. Probably making 100 G's a year. Easily. Easily. Nice car, nice home, kids going to good schools, everybody wearing good clothes, your wife's happy. She can go shop and go do whatever she wants to do. Maybe if she has her own career or not. Family's happy. You eating good. Everybody respects you. You're in the, you work in the state government. I mean, where is anybody feeling the pain? This is why things don't change, people. Straight up. You and me as individuals, you have to admit things start to change in your life when you start feeling a little pain. When you get tired of the situation being crappy, you do some things differently and you start fixing it. When you're a proactive type person, you don't even want anything crappy to happen. So you start taking measures 
to make sure nothing bad comes down the line and you cover yourself everywhere you can you protect yourself you insulate yourself you stay aware you stay on you keep your head on a swivel and look out for any threats and you see the exact opposite of all those things out of the people that are elected in positions to make these kind of decisions of if they're going to have any kind of oversight to actually investigate 350 deaths in custody in just one year and several dozens of others that have happened over the last several years that never got investigated you probably have somewhere around 500 people's deaths at the hands of the state of Florida in the balance right now. Probably somewhere around that number. And none of these people is hurting for a job. None of these people is hurting for cash. They all got the credit and check. Everybody's doing good, good health care, fishing offshore, enjoying the Florida sun, living life. And yeah, we'll get around to it. You mean nothing. You mean less than nothing. You mean absolutely nothing to their day-to-day concern. It's just like Ferguson, America, man. It's just like Ferguson. You're just living and you're getting your paycheck. This guy that was running the city, this uh, John, I forget his name right now, but they finally got rid of him. He was the city finance manager or whatever. This guy was 32 years old when he took over the city finances of the city of Ferguson. Did it for these last several years and improved, it boosted the, the budget from a million to over three million dollars in three years off the backs of, of oppressing the people? You mean nothing to them. We are the only ones that care about each other. You're nothing to them. You're a paycheck. You're a sucker. You mean nothing. You mean less than nothing to these people. They go into their chambers and they unanimously vote to remove any oversight, even though the governor gets to pick everybody on the board of oversight. They just don't even want to consider it. We just don't, we don't need to do that. This is what we're dealing with, man. I don't, I, I, I don't know. I, I could just read, I only can report the news to you. That's all I can do is just report to you the news and when when you get enough, when you decide that yeah, voting's what I want to do and yeah, I want to be nonviolent. Okay, fair enough. Well, we got some plans that you can work within both of those. You want to do it? You want to carry a demand with your vote? You want to educate the constituents, the surrounding areas around you and help create a force that agrees with the needs of the people you want to be a part of that, of doing that well, I mean uh, I kind of want to watch Scandal and I kind of want to just be left alone to just, you know, go to my gym and go have happy hour and just kind of, you know chill and enjoy my life and just hopefully if I can just vote once a year or every four years Hopefully, if I could just do that, I mean, then everything will work out. I mean, that's what I want to happen. These people don't know me. They don't represent me. Just like Professor Phil told us yesterday, ask him straight out, do you know me? Well, no, I don't know you. Okay, so how are you representing me when you wrote this law? How are you representing me when you created this statute, when you created this this penalty for this action or whatever? You don't represent me, do you? Oh, Okay, so now let's look at option two. So we have alternatives to how we're living, but the shame, I'm afraid, over everything else, the shame that's going to be our legacy, 
is that we didn't ever jump off the track. That we don't ever strike a blow that can't be taken back. That we don't ever strike out in a direction that we can't come back from. Why do you want to have this as something to come back to? Why is that something that seems is bound binding us to this reality is that people don't want to just make a turn. They just can't do it. They just don't want to. They can't. Don't make me make a decision to turn from this train to hell that I'm riding on right now. I try to make it a point on this program to go state to state, give you incidents from various states around the country. Now I need to do a better job of covering some states I haven't talked about. I know I've been real heavy in some in particular. And it's important news that you need to know that's going on in these places. It's important precedents being set for you to be able to see how things become what they are. But trust me, and I'm going to make a point of that next week. I'm going to I'm going to get on that. I'm going to focus on naming states all week next week that I haven't named yet on this program. I'm going to pick out five different states I haven't even talked about yet. And it's very simple, people. I can promise you that I will get you results. It's very simple. My email inbox right now is still over 600 emails. I don't even have a chance to open all of this. The whole point of starting this program was because doing New Abolitionist Radio once a week, two hours a week, Max and Scotty, we pick four stories to cover in the the program. We do an an abolitionist profile, and we, uh, we were doing a state constitution profile, but then when we did all 50 states, we switched over to doing uh, a story from someone who's been on the modern under, underground railroad, someone has been exonerated and taken off the plantation. And that covers about two hours or more. And week after week, my emails were, I just couldn't even answer them all. I couldn't look at all of the information that's coming in all over the country. And really a lot of it's around the world too. It is, I mean, because I keep an eye on what, how the slavery that we didn't abolish in America we are now exporting to other countries. See, we got away with it. We kept it legal. We didn't abolish it. We put it as a part of our Constitution in the 13th Amendment and said that slavery is abolished except for when you're convicted of a crime. So we created an entirely new subclass of slaves and a new definition of slavery. And we are now, after we've used it in our country, we've gone through the tests we figured out how to perfect it. See, I'm not reporting to you on something that is still in the development stage. I'm not telling you about something that they're still figuring out, getting the bugs out of it, tweaking it. I'm telling you about something that is a perfected method of operation. This is highly refined what is going on. It is integrated and it is refined and you need to take it serious as science because it is science. And we're exporting it to Australia, to the UK, to South Africa, to Israel. They're already seeing the exact same problems we're having here in their prisons. The UK right now is out of control. Prison riots. People not wanting to be enslaved. Oh, it's not just the Negroes, is it? It's not just the Mexicans, is it? Nobody wants to be a slave. 
overcrowding already population of their prisons already exploding as soon as we import as soon as they imported it as soon as they let the geo group in take over privatize the entire nation's prisons australia's looking at letting geo group run all the prisons and the poor aboriginal people the negroes of australia in the exact same situation hyper criminalization police abuse terrorism killing them left and right throwing them into prisons people it's not just us and it's not just here this is a situation that is involving all of humanity for god's sake i beg you join up with the abolitionist movement pay attention to this share these share these stories share this information before it's too late there is a tipping point there is a point of no return there is a point a and a point b where you're going is a point where you started and there's a place where you're going humanity right now on the road traveling that point a to point b experience humanity right now is beyond a point where they can return to the goodness of their roots in america right now where will we go back to what will be the point we could return to to restore humanity in this nation the nation itself was built on genocide you had to exterminate all the indigenous people you had to kidnap and enslave all the African people and move them here you had to war against other countries you had to war against one another you had all these riots hundreds and hundreds of riots thousands of riots all over the country popping up all the time people mass murdering one another how the country was built so where would we go back to to have a better day what would be our better time so our better time has got to be ahead of us we don't have a choice it's got to be ahead of us it's not behind us this is like a person you know no insensitivity intended but this is like a person that was maybe molested as a child and you go telling them well we can it's just like the good old days when we were kids they're not thinking of no good old day they're still looking for a good day hoping that the future is better and they can forget what happened and they can move on past it and they can help somebody else not to suffer through it that's America our history is bound to slavery when are we going to let it go our history is bound to rape and molestation and the creation of an entirely new ethnic race of mixed people from rape and and all this crazy treatment is a direct contribution to this slavery so it's just i just wonder when are we gonna when are we when is it gonna sink in that the status quo is rape the status quo is slavery the status quo is brutality the status quo is taxation without representation I just don't know how so many people don't know that. How you don't how you believe that is not true. What are you looking at? Because the world I'm living in, it's obvious. The news I'm reporting to you every day, it's obvious. I just told you about a woman who's winning. A black woman who's winning, thirty two years old highly educated, highly paid 
balling, living the life, American dream. She's a good black person. Fine, natural hair, she got her dress. Is she fine as she want to be? Beautiful smile, pretty face, skin looking good. I'm sure she got a great body. I mean, what else do you want? This is what the, this is what these black women is trying to do above anything else. Get a career, get some money, get a nice foreign car. Go natural. I mean, the, the whole stereotype is handed to you of what you should be doing. Everything on your mind other than slavery. And that slavery reached on out and grabbed her ass, didn't it? Our unexplainable black death profile today, we meant to get to this uh, in the previous program, but we ran out of time with Professor Phil, and he messaged me, I meant to uh, mention to you all, he wasn't going to be able to make it. He is traveling in this town to do some works with his politics and money uh, organization, so he was already kind of scheduled up, and I was hoping we could get him back. We will, I'm sure we will be able to have him at some other time, but he's not going to be able to make it. Um, our profile, though, we intended to get to yesterday and we weren't able to, but we are going to cover this today, is uh, Brother John Crawford. The man was 22 years old. He was gunned down by Beaver Creek, Ohio police while shopping at a Walmart carrying an airsoft toy gun, pellet gun, walking down the aisle, minding his own business with a cell phone on his shoulder, Obviously talking on the phone, shopping on the shelves. Security video was released and showed how it all went down. And there was a 911 call made originally by a racist piece of crap named Robert Ritchie, who never faced any criminal charges for lying to the police calling 911 and telling them that he felt threatened and his woman felt threatened I believe it was his wife, she's in a wheelchair he was pushing her around in the, or, uh, on one of those scooters or whatever they got at the store and they saw him walking with this rifle and they swore he was he was threatening people with it, brandishing this rifle and it looked real and then he even told them that he saw him load it this is all on the 911 call then a security video was released and showed John Crawford had never done any such thing. He was walking down the aisles with other people in the aisle and nobody even looked him one way or another. He was just another dude in the store talking on his phone to his baby mother, his pregnant girlfriend, on the phone, discussing whatever, minding his own business. And here's this asshat calling 911, playing games with this man's life. And the cops were happy to come rushing in and then like a SWAT team type raid come busting in the doors, running in start shooting and it was so wild and crazy and out of control another lady in the store actually had a heart attack and died on the scene shocked by what she was confronted with of course there was no indictments No criminal charges, no consequences for this brother's death. Just uh, young children, young black babies left fatherless again, thanks to the state. The same state that loves to tell you about how all these young black babies don't have no daddies, and these black babies is on welfare, and these black people just won't get themselves together. Well, you keep killing all the good ones. You keep killing all the, the useful ones. You keep killing all the ones that ain't committing crimes and minding their own business and not carrying guns and not selling drugs and 
You keep murdering them. So, rest in peace, Brother John Crawford, our modern-day Emmett Till. All it takes is a report of a scared white lady, and here comes a lynch mob. That's another brother dead. Rest in peace to you, brother. And that is the program for today, the Abolitionist Daily. We appreciate you for listening in. Peace to the abolitionists and death to these oppressors. There are more records of slave ships than one would dream. It seems inconceivable until you reflected for 200 years ships sailed carrying cargo of slaves. Man, man, non-violence. In the face of the violence that we've been uh, experiencing for the past 400 years, is actually doing our people a disservice. In fact, it's a crime. It's a crime. Here come the drums.